books with Aaron, Timmy, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, good morning, fellas. You know, it was just last week that I prophesied via my dreams that, uh, you know, I was I was having an, an interview with uh, Ron Mars, and Ron says, where's Paul? And I said, no one's seen him since the fire. Well, now we've got all these fires out in California, and where's Paul? We're not saying Paul's an arsonist that's responsible for all of it. <laughs> we're just saying we haven't seen him since the fires. Well, and I think maybe what we're saying is that he was consumed by his own flames. Yeah, I think that's what we're saying. You know, I I, I, I don't think Paul's an arsonist. <laughs> I think of him more as like a as a petty criminal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, do you you, but do you think that he's pyrokinetic? Is he a fire starter? Mm. You know, maybe if he's running fast enough in those in those leggings, that yeah. might that might do it. I think we all know that Paul runs in jeggings. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we also oh. we also are all on the same page that there's no way he's fighting the fires. Correct. That's no, not no, no, there's nothing heroic about Paul. Nothing no. heroic about Paul. <laughs> I, I think that what we're saying is that there is a criminal element to Paul and a certain level of incompetence. So, uh... <laughs> well, when you match the two, you, you get corporate America, yeah, and that's yeah. why Paul gets to go on all these trips. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, we don't know if Paul will be back, you know, or if he'll be born again in flames uh, next week. But uh, fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed. Just saying. So I, I know you guys didn't catch it, but I am I am loving these uh, Robert Kirkman secret history of comics shows. Uh, you know, they're, they're five episodes in so far. And last week they did Milestone Media, which, you know, anybody who has listened to the podcast for any length of time knows that I am wild for those Milestone characters. You know, Icon and Rocket, Static, Hardware, The Blood Syndicate. I love all those guys. And they did a really nice nice job of uh, sort of documenting what those guys did in the 90s and setting the stage for what's coming. So uh, I don't know if you guys recall or not, but back in uh, 2015, they had announced that they were relaunching the Milestone universe. And then it was like we didn't hear anything. And, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe that's not going to happen after all. Well, back in October at New York Comic Con, Jim Lee led a panel and talked about what they're doing with Milestone. And Milestone is coming back this spring uh, uh, via DC Comics, and it will be Earth-M, and it's going to exist away from the standard uh, DC continuity. I'm I'm really that, excited about this. I say that excites me. I like the idea of it being a separate universe, because the characters kind of get overshined if you've got Superman and everyone else in the universe. Exactly. And they're looking to tell stories that you'd never tell, you know, with the the, the standard scope of DC characters. So uh, I am pretty excited uh, about these stories. And apparently there's a lot of conversation going on about what other media uh, these characters might show up in. I was excited to see that they're not – it is a complete reboot – and they are not refreshing, so you, you you should not expect, for instance, in the pages of Icon and Rocket, I don't think Rocket ever had her baby. Remember, it was a teen pregnancy. Um, I don't think she ever had the baby. Well, they're not picking up where they left off, and they're not, uh, they're not refreshing. They're telling completely new stories. Same characters, completely new stories. So um, we, we should not expect to see that Rocket is going to be a teen mother. Um, 
so I, I again really excited because you still have you know with the exception of Dwayne McDuffie you've still got the uh, many of the original uh, uh, milestone talent working there like Dennis Cowan etc uh, Christopher Priest I, all those guys I, I again cannot begin to tell you how excited I am about this and Wayne you're particularly going to like this they're going to re-release a lot of the old milestone content you know from the 90s via comiXology nice yeah and i mean that is one thing that's been driving me nuts is that there is not a legit digital uh version of those comics uh you know you can certainly torrent them you know out there on on, on the very dark corners of the internet but uh you know if you want a uh you know a guided view experience that does not exist yet but it will uh in uh 2018 so then i can yeah. get rid of my physical copies of static <laughs> don't get rid of them you you can do something with them you know you could you could wallpaper your room in static comics how about that that's too many that's too many static comics i got to be honest so and 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 there's more good news guys there's more good news uh you know we had we had heard about a month or so ago that Disney was looking to acquire uh, bits of uh, intellectual property from Fox. Uh, you know, Fox was looking to divest itself from the movie biz and the TV biz because they feel like the money money to be made is in uh, uh, the news. And so, uh, you know, Disney started having con- talks about, well, we'd, we'd like our, our Fantastic Four back, right? Uh, you know, and, and certain of those other other types of properties, um, and then those talks broke down, and it sounded like nobody was interested in doing it. Then Warner showed up and said, "Hey, well, you know, if you don't want to do with Disney with that, uh, we'll do it," and that broke down. And then Disney and Fox apparently got back together, and talks are going so well. The money guys are talking right now. The bankers are are working out the fine details, is what the article said that. Uh, that I looked at. So that means that if all goes well, we'll have the Fantastic Four back in the Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe or in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would love to see what they can do with Fantastic Four. Which suggests to me that you would see a cameo for in the second part of Infinity War. It would not surprise me to see, you know, a Mr. Fantastic thing pop in at the last minute in Infinity War. Do you do you think the damage is done with those characters? I don't. I think that Oof. I think that uh, I think that it, with the Marvel guys handling those characters, that uh, you could really launch it. And hey, look at it this way: you're about to retire a lot of your your uh, standard bearers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a fine opportunity to bring the Fantastic Four in. Yeah, to actually do something good with them. Yeah. No, I I think that if you've got the right storytellers working on it. Uh, and I think Marvel is is the right place to do that. Uh, I think it, I think it'd be just fantastic. I, I yeah, I'm 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 going the other way on that. I th- I think there's been enough shitty Fantastic Four movies that even even under a, a good direction, I'm not real excited. Well, I I agree with you that there have been enough shitty Fantastic Four movies. But on the other side, I think it, I I think that that uh, that it helps that expectations will be low. 
<laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, I think that, that people are going to go, well, what are you going to do? But I, I, I trust the Marvel talent to do it. And, you know, I think you do what they've done in the past is you water drip these guys in other movies before you grow their own. And I'm not sure that you retell the origin story. You know, I, I think that you start them off with, you know, hey, here are these guys, you know. Uh, and you, you, if you're telling the origin story, you tell it in a, uh, you know, two minute, uh, montage during the opening credits. Yeah. I, I like that. that, that I, that's how I would do it. Yeah. I have seen enough of their origin, just like Spider-Man. We yeah. didn't need to see a new origin movie yeah. and they didn't give us an origin. Yeah. And that's all I would do is, you know, Hey, these guys have powers to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And I look at Spider-Man as an example of how, you know, this could potentially work because, Spider-Man was uh, had a couple of bad movies there. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, think, think about how terrible Spider-Man three was. I mean, Spider-Man three pretty bad. Now the difference is is that Spider-Man at least had a couple of decent movies. But uh, like, yeah, I liked yeah. I liked Amazing Spider-Man, and I liked the first uh, Tobey Maguire movie. Yeah, I so. just hated the second Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I just hated everything else with Tobey Maguire in it, including Seabiscuit. Just saying. Oh, I come on. <laughs> I didn't know you hated Spider-Man 2. Oh, God. I, I, Spider-Man 2 and uh, Spider-Man 3 are just terrible movies. The 3 I knew, I knew yeah. but 2 I did not know. Yeah. I, I, don't, I just don't think they bear the rewatch. But, you know, if you watch the, uh, the September 11th episode of Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics, you'll find that uh, that first Spider-Man movie saved the universe. They really ascribe a, a tremendous amount of importance to that film in terms of uh, unifying the country. Yeah, that episode was really good. What? I, I disagree. <laughs> I, I don't think that episode was good at all. I think that, I think that was the, the, uh, the, the one whiff they've had at, uh, at the Robert Kirkman Secret History of Comics. It, it, it really pumped up the importance of comics. It did, but I still enjoy. I enjoy again all the the behind the scene things, uh-huh. like talking about how uh, they came in and there was actually dust from the towers on some of the drawing tables. Yeah, no, I, I, I had I no idea they that. were that close. I you know I enjoy any opportunity to hear the creators talk, but they kept they they kept laying down how critically important comics are. And yeah, they oversold I, that a lot. Yeah, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Again, because I love all this behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Comics are extremely important to me. I just don't think that they're as nearly as important as uh, as the uh, documentarian, documentarians made them out to be. But that's okay. But, 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 Wayne, I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready for Marvel to own a piece of Batman? What? <laughs> Part of the rights that are owned by Fox that Disney's looking to acquire is Batman 66. Wow. Fox owns the television rights to that and owns the broadcast rights to Gotham. So uh, Marvel would own a little piece of Batman. That Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mind blown. So you could see Batman 66 at a Disney theme park. I mean, it's wild to think about, isn't it? That and think about the irony uh-huh. if DC has their streaming service uh-huh. and doesn't get to play Batman sixty six. Yeah, that you've got to buy Disney's it on the Disney Marvel. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's crazy town. It's crazy town. I mean, that's just got to be driving the DC guys crazy. Yo, so Warner's got to be going. You got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. What do you think you could do in Gotham if you own, if you owned it? Like they I, can't. Well, they don't own they they own the broadcast rights for it, and they 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 have first right of refusal for doing things with those characters on the television, right? So you could you could literally see if they were going to do any other kind of Gotham spinoff, like if you were going to do a Gotham Central t- TV show, uh-huh. that could very well wind up on the Disney streaming service. Oh, okay. You're right. you're not okay. I got it. You're not going to see J. Jonah Jameson in Gotham is basically what's not going to Correct. Yeah. I I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Uh, but you know, you at least own the broadcast rights, uh, you know, and first right of refusal. So if somebody comes up with an idea relating to those characters, and I don't know how broad that Fox agreement is. I don't know if they've got, you know, all of the Batman characters, but can you imagine? (laughs) You know, here is one of your your giant properties. You know, your your your, your big ass Batman property, and it could be a Disney program. Yeah, because I, mean, I really thought that uh, some of those things would be the cornerstones of DC's service. Yeah, their streaming service. You would think, and, and now they could go to Disney. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah, because one assumes they've got a similar agreement with Warner, uh, with DC Warner, as Marvel does with Fox, right? You know that, uh, you know, because if if Marvel wants to do anything with the Fantastic Four, you know, in terms of of television or film, they have to run it through Fox. So, anyway, it's I, I, I I'm highly amused by this. And you know you you'd actually I mean I, I can just imagine how cool a uh, a a Batman themed something at a Disney park would be you know I'm not I'm not the amusement park guy that Paul is and and that you are Wayne but uh, I could imagine that being pretty cool at a Disney park a whole Batman sixty six area inside Disney like the Star Wars one uh huh uh huh and why wouldn't you do that. Of course, you know they do have that agreement with Six Flags, so maybe those those things are carved out. Maybe it is just, uh, uh, maybe it is just broadcast. But even so, seeing that on the on the Disney streaming service is is certainly interesting, and it makes the Disney streaming service a, a, a little bit more competitive than say the. Uh, it makes the Disney streaming service a little bit more competitive than the DC streaming service. So. Anywho, um, so d- did you guys see the uh, Krypton teaser trailer? I did. Yes. Yep. So you know we've got the uh, the all new Krypton TV show that's going to be on Sci Fi uh, sometime in 2018. I'm not sure when that debuts, but uh, we, we we got a teaser trailer this week featuring uh, uh, Superman's grandfather. And, uh, you know, not just a whole lot to look at, but it certainly, I don't know, to me, guys, it seemed like a Battlestar Galactica feel uh, to Krypton. What do you guys think? That actually sounds very accurate. Yeah, a Battlestar Galactica reboot, not the uh, not the uh, the original 7980 uh, show. So personally, I don't care about Krypton. Really? I think, like, especially watching the teaser, I don't like the look of the planet. I don't like the uh, the look of the sets or any of that. Uh, I read the thing that they're going to have Doomsday is going to be on at one point, which that's the only thing that makes me even slightly interested to see what they do with Doomsday. But this is not a prequel I needed. 
or you know, really I, wanted. I don't think I see it as a prequel. I just see it as a story, you know, an untold story in uh, in the Superman landscape. And you know, uh, they're telling it deep enough in that you know you know you're not waiting for Krypton to blow up on Tuesday. You know, you've got some time, right? Because <laughs> the story they're telling with uh, with Jor El's father that he's a young man, and Jor El apparently hasn't been born yet. You know, I, I'm kind of with Wayne. Like, I watched that and I went, you know, I feel like they had a science fiction story they wanted to tell and just slapped on Superman to, to make it more appealing. That would not surprise me that that's actually the case. <laughs> you know, yeah, that like, we, we can reskin this for, for uh, you know, Superman's grandpa. We can do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that, Tim, but you're exactly right. That is kind of what it feels like. But, you you know, know, and it, and that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be bad, but, you know, the sci-fi channel is very hit or miss. No, I completely agree. I mean, uh, after... Usually miss. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, you know, I do enjoy their TV show, The Expanse. Uh, I, 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 I enjoy that rather a lot. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they do something good here because they could certainly use another hit. You know, I, I, I rarely... You would think a show, a, a network called Sci-Fi, or as Wayne calls it, Sci-Fi... Um, <laughs> I, uh, you would think that that would be frequently on my, uh, on my, uh, on my, on my television and it is not, I mean, I don't I couldn't even tell you what channel, uh, sci-fi is on my cable box. Cause I so rarely click over there. There's yeah. very, I, you know, cause I, I don't watch, uh, you know, their, their movies. Cause why would I want to watch those movies with commercials? And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they did a big, a big Pandora day some time ago. And I'm like, well, number one, I don't, I don't really yeah. watch Pandora. And if I am going to watch Pandora, I'm not going to watch it with a bazillion commercials. Um, you know, listen to some guy cry about how his feet hurt all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I really hate those, those commercials, but my, my pain was an 11. My feet really hurt. And then I got arch supports and now I can dance. Um. <laughs> yeah, like, it really is sad too because when sci-fi first started i remember being all excited that there's going to be a tv station that's based on science fiction because we didn't really have a lot of science fiction out then well and, and i mean sci-fi never lived up to the promise right I no mean, it, it really never didn't. because it seemed like as they were they were uh as they were kind of finally building their 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 brand they ran away from their brand, you know, and I mean, wrestling <laughs> on the sci-fi channel, uh, reality shows on the sci-fi channel. I just, um, you know, it seems like a, a, a channel that is a, a network that, that builds itself on a, on a science fiction brand would really lean into scripted television. And it seemed like they really leaned away from it. No, that, that's, that's definitely fair. And like yeah. I said, yeah. the things that they have made, you know, it, they they really don't have a middle ground. It's hard. It's hard for them to make a B show, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's either really good or or unwatchable. Terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I will admit to having fun with some of their terrible TV shows, like some terrible made-for-TV movies. I mean, yeah. Some of them were just fun from a ridiculous B movie standpoint. Right. Never good, but fun. What well, as Aaron points out, if you want that, you you could do it without the commercial breaks. Right. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because there's there, there's a ton of that on Netflix, right? There's a whole bunch of bad stuff to watch. On Netflix. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still watching the good stuff. But I don't, but yeah. But I mean, if you want to see the bad stuff, it's all there. 
I mean, oh, all you, I'm, all you I'm, have to do is do a word search on C. Thomas Howell. You'll find it. That's true. Oh, I am <laughs> suffering. I, I am suffering from uh, post Longmire depression now. Oh, so did I, you finish? Didn't it just didn't it just break your heart that there's no more? Yeah, I think I might have to start reading the books, like you said. The books are good. I'm on the third one. The books are really good. Very different than the series. Uh, but the the one thing I'll say is that you know many times watching the series, I felt like there was a, a great deal of incompetence in the sheriff's office, um, and the the uh, the characters in the book are much more competent. They're not superheroes, but they're much more competent. Okay. <laughs> a lot of times I'm like, you know, for someone who's supposed to be as tough as Vic is, kind of a whiny baby. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or Ferg just seems like you know the guy that could lead the toll booth sometimes. Yeah. I do love Ferg though. And his his moments. <laughs> yeah, but they seem to Ferg. come out of nowhere in the show. They do. They do. They do. But I mean, you it's know, like they, he's tracking hey, somebody all of a sudden. It's like, what the shit? Hey, that's the guy who uh, <laughs> threw me up against the hood of my car and put a gun to my head and you know made me pee myself. Uh, you know, I'll just shoot him in the head. I will just end him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I knew this was going to happen, but I, I, I only I only read one damn comic book. I need to talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I loves me some Longmire. I, I'm going to miss that show. Going to miss that show. And I think it did really well on Netflix. I think that uh, uh, they were able to tell longer stories on Netflix because those those episodes went from being like a, a 47 minute episode on broadcast TV to being sometimes 58 minutes on yeah. Netflix. And man, that time was needed for some of that stuff. So so and yeah. it did get a, it did get a second life. Like yeah, it really did. It really did. Wait, yeah. It. I don't know if I don't know if I'd go better, but it was as good at least. No, I agree. I agree. Like, so. I, I, I and, and, well, and I think that there was a there was a difference in the flavor, and you know, I, I just need more Henry Standing Bear in my life. <laughs> I, I need a Jason Nighthorse in my life. In fact, you know, I I, I I I frequently want to answer the phone at work. You know, uh, you know, continual soiree. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful day at the continual soiree. <laughs> yeah, right, Tony. In. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, you know, so we we uh, we, we saw the Krypton teaser. And now let's talk about Superman number 36. Uh, Wayne, you read this one. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about Superman 36? It, so this wraps up the storyline of uh, Superman, Lois, John, and uh, Lex on Apocalypse. Although Lex is not awake for any of this one until the end. Um, I was really excited throughout the whole storyline. Uh-huh. And about halfway through this, it got really, really talky. Uh-huh. And it's like it wasn't a bad ending. I thought the storyline wrapped up, but I did not have the same excitement that I did for the rest of the storyline. It's like suddenly everything's come to fruition and Superman's the leader of Apocalypse, but he doesn't have to stay there sitting on a throne. He can just go home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... Just like we expected, Lex's recordings of everything got corrupted, so he doesn't hear all of the times that they, you know, yeah, basically give away his Super- identity. Yeah, that John called Superman dad and Lois called him Clark. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first off, I, let me let me just say the cover with Superman sitting on the throne of Apocalypse is kind of badass. Uh, I, I, I really rather like that cover. Um, I... 
this isn't just a multi-part story in Superman where he and his family go to Apocalypse. Um, this is actually this is a story that's been set up since the Dark Side War, right? Because uh, you know Lex became leader of Apocalypse at that time, and he was able to take on the mother box technology and build his armor, and that's where he became, you know, Superman like in in the pages of DC Comics. So this is a this is a big ending to that storyline where, you know, the 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 people of Apocalypse kidnap Lex because, you know, we need our, our leader. You know, the kidnapping your leader seems like seems like a poor move. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm startled by that. But then Superman goes to rescue them and Lex reminds them of the prophecy that, you know, it's going to be this lone survivor of his own world, you know, and that sure does sound like they're talking about Superman. Superman is going to is your leader. And at the end of the book, just as Wayne said. Superman says, hey, I'm here anytime you need me, but you guys need to self-govern, you know, but call me when you need me. So he is sort of the de facto ruler. He's the the ultimate authority for Apocalypse. Lex gets his freedom provided by Superman. And at the end of the book, Superman peels off the S off of Lex's chest. And we get to see this devilish, you know, sort of smile uh, on Lex's face. Like maybe, okay, I'm going to stop playing the superhero. I'm going to start playing, you know, the bad guy now. But what I find so, uh, unsatisfying about this story is that it really seemed like we were building to something in the pages of dark side war and in the aftermath of dark side war that was never really realized. We never got to see Lex doing anything particularly cool with apocalypse. I mean, if I'm Lex and I've got boom tube technology, I'm going to be going back to, to Apocalypse every couple of days to check on things, build stuff. You know, I mean, I don't understand why he didn't exploit that more. Yeah, and that's my big issue with this in particular ending is that it just fell flat. Yeah, it was built up to be so huge, yeah. and it wasn't. It wasn't a bad story. It wasn't a bad you know issue, but. It really was flat when I expected a bigger ending. Yeah. Well, I mean, I it's a as competent as Lois Lane is, and she is super competent. Super competent, right? I have a hard time with her being able to stand toe to toe with the Furies on Apocalypse because she does. She's just a she. She is a human being. She does not have you know the training, the 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 physical powers that all of these people on Apocalypse do, but yet, you know, Lois Lane is, is you know, shoulder to shoulder with the Furies. And I feel like it would have been more appropriate for, for Lois to have been taking hits, for Lois to come out with maybe some broken ribs, a black eye, <laughs> you know, because she's in all these fights, but Lois is, is pretty much unscathed at the end of, at the, end of the book. Uh, that, that, that doesn't really work. You know, in in terms of who the the characters on Apocalypse are versus who Lois Lane is, so I was I was a little dissatisfied with that as well. I mean, I, I enjoyed there are certain things that I enjoyed, like you know John allying himself with the with the war dogs, right, and riding them into battle, you know, like like wargs over the over the mountaintop. Um, I thought that was cool, but the but the underlying elements of the story, like you know. Lex's involvement with Apocalypse and then the resolution with Superman just really fell sort of flat. Well, and John holding his own is acceptable. He has powers. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, this, I, 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 I think they did not stick the landing in this book. So much as people would say, in Justice League, fa- I'm sorry, Justice League failed to do at the box office. Uh, Justice League did not make the bank that uh, that uh, the folks at Warner were hoping, and as such, everyone's blaming it on Batman. Uh, it seems that uh, Ben Affleck may be out as Batman in the standalone Batman film. Have you guys heard about that? Yeah, I saw some uh, some articles where he was kind of talking about that, and I didn't see Justice League. Uh-huh. I didn't see it because the previous movie I absolutely hated. But what was wrong with it was not Affleck. He did an incredible job as Batman in that one, and I really doubt that he's going to have been the problem with Justice League. And I completely agree. He was, that was, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, it, but in fact, I think that when you look at what's right with Justice League, it's Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot and uh, Jason Momoa. You know, those are the three things that I think that, that that are on fire in those movies or in that movie. I think those three characters and those three actors work really, really well. And I think it's crazy that they want to recast uh, uh, Batman. Yeah, no, that's that's dumb. I yeah. I, it, I didn't really have any problem with Justice League. But the one thing I think you could point to is you can sort of tell the tonal changes when it came from who directed the first part of it and who directed the, la- the second part of it. Yeah, I think if you'd had a, a clear voice the whole way through, it might it might done a little better. But like I said, it I don't I didn't there wasn't anything wrong with that movie to me. Yeah, no, I think the issue is that they keep going back to the Zack Snyder well, and uh, you know he's a talented filmmaker, but he's not the guy for these types of movies. Uh, you know, there, he he is a, a very dark sort of personality, and that that comes across in his films. Yeah, he's no, made, he, he's made a DC Universe film that's very much like Watchmen, and while he's pitch perfect for a movie like Watchmen, not so much for DC. Yeah, I mean, I kind of stand by the biggest problem here is they don't ever know why their movies fail, yeah, and they point to the wrong thing every single time. Yeah, and to be clear, Justice League made money. It just didn't make the the level of money that they had hoped, and they were they were particularly uh, disheartened that it did not outperform Thor Ragnarok, a character that they believed to be a B level character. Well, he is now, which again goes back to their misunderstanding of just about everything. Completely agree. So uh, there is speculation out, you know, on on who is vying for the role. So you know, we had heard Jake Gyllenhaal in the past. And I, 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 I refuse to see a Jake Gyllenhaal as Batman movie. Refuse. However, I did see one name. Apparently, John Hamm from uh, TV's Mad Men uh, is angling for the role. And okay. I, I can absolutely see John Hamm as Batman. Okay, time out. Yes, sir. He's got to be the same age as Ben Affleck. He is. Yeah, okay. No, he's 46 so years old. You're going to go from old Batman to... As old Batman. <laughs> like, wouldn't you go the other way on that? I'm just... God damn it. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know what the thinking is there, but, I mean, if you had to recast, I think you could do a lot worse than John Hamm. I mean, because, I mean, he has got Bruce Wayne written all over him. You could do worse. You could do Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I'm not... I, 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 I don't want Jake Gyllenhaal. I really... You know, I, I, I don't want I, I don't want Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I mean, I could qu- I, I could totally quit Jake Gyllenhaal. Is all I'm saying. So, He's uh, not the Batman you want or need. 
<laughs> or deserve. I nor, deserve better. Nor, nor deserve. No, yeah. you know, well, well, I, how how much longer was Ben Affleck going to do Batman? Anyways, he probably was only going to do one more movie. Well, I think he was going to do at least one more Justice League film and a uh, oh, and a standalone. Yeah, yeah. And so could, it's uh, him too. being out of the standalone that is disturbing. But you know, they did say uh, apparently they were talking to Ben Affleck and they're they're talking about doing a Flashpoint movie and that he would show up for the beginning and end pieces where uh, Flash is talking to Batman in the Batcave. Yay! Thanks, thanks for yeah. the crumbs. <laughs> I, it seems a little ridiculous to me that uh, they would do a Flashpoint film. Flashpoint seems to be the sort of story you do years down the line after you've got some continuity. Yeah, up. but that's what DC doesn't understand. You know, they like don't. They, uh, they didn't earn the death of Superman, right. and they haven't earned Flashpoint. Right. No, you're absolutely right. They, they've you've got to tell some basic you know, foundational ground setting sort of stories, level setting stories before you can do, you know, let's shake up the status. quo. Yeah. You have to set the world before you shake the snow globe. That's right. It doesn't make any sense to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. They've got no quo is what I'm saying. Right. They got no quo, but you know what we do have is Batman 36 and uh, Timmy. Yeah. You read Batman 36. I have. I did. Tell me about it. What a good damn book. Yeah. Like, I was hoping a, you were going to like this because I loved the hell out of this book. What a good damn book. Yeah. I've I've liked all of the all of the bad well, – okay. So I, I felt like the, the war of, of riddles and jokes got went a little went a little went a little askew. Went a little a long, long. A little long. A little long. But everything after that with the Catwoman engagement has been just money. And like this book <laughs> I, I love the side by side storytelling of of Tom basically King is, Tom King's really good at that, isn't he? He that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just just it, it's it's a dissection of a friendship, basically. Mm-hmm. About why why you know, why they don't need to talk to each other, why they should talk to each other. It it's just it's so damn good. Well, and it's I, I, the, the premise of the comic is is set up on something that's that uh, all friendships tend to revolve around at some point or another, and it's a bullshit moment, right? And it's one friend going, "Well, he should call me. He's the one with the news," and the other friend is going, "Well, he should call me. I'm the one he need, he need the, who had the experience. He needs to uh, to to talk to me." And so the issue is that you know Batman got engaged to Catwoman. And Batman has not picked up the phone to call Superman and say, hey, I got engaged to Catwoman. And on the other side, Superman's like, well, he's the one who got engaged. You ought to call me. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and both Lois and Catwoman are like, you're ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You, you, big, you, you big girls, pick up the damn phone, you know. <laughs> and, of course, that's the, the, the way I describe it is the way it looks at the beginning of the book. There are many more underlying reasons uh, beyond that. And the book the, the book really explains that these two are, 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 are really best friends and they each admire each other uh, to an extreme yeah, extent. Because they're their life experiences. Right. And, you know, this is one of the great things, you know, this is what we were missing in the New 52, and it's what we got back in Rebirth, is this relationship between Batman and Superman, which I think 
is the foundation of the DC universe. And it's what's missing so much in the DC films is that, you know, you have, you have a movie where uh, Batman and Superman meet and they spend most of the time fighting and they unite over, uh, you know, hey, both of our moms are named Martha. Um, (laughs) We never get to establish this trust between these characters in the films that we do have here in in the comics. And it's just, you know, one of the things that I have enjoyed so much in the uh, Superman books with Jonathan Kent is that... You know, you have those moments where Batman's hanging out at the Kent farm, right? You know, you got you got Bruce Wayne sitting at the at the family table, and uh, they're sharing a meal. And right. I, I just I love those those little simple moments. Well, now, Tim, I think we're going to get to see uh, you know uh, <laughs> Bruce and Selena come over to the Kents for dinner. The, the, the double date, the, the, yeah. the thing that said yeah. the double date seventy years in the making or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. 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 I, I think that's. I think it's great. And I found this book hysterical. And you know, there's this very awkward moment where Superman and Lois are you know step off an elevator. Batman and, and Catwoman step off an elevator, and you know Batman and Superman are real awkward with one another. And Lois just re- just reaches reaches over. Hi, I'm Lois. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, this is a great book. I, it is a great book. I high, you don't have to have been reading any of this other stuff. So if you're not reading Batman right now, go out and pick out this book because it is just fantastic. There's I was thinking that listening to you guys because I haven't been reading just Batman. I've been reading Detective, but yeah, this sounds like a really good Superman Batman story. It is a hoot and a half, and there's tons of action in it. I mean, it sounds like it's real, really talky, and it is. But there's also tons of action, and there is just so much heart and comedy in this book. And uh, seriously, you don't have to have read any of any of the other Batman books, other than to know Catwoman and Batman are engaged, and they tell you that in the book. There's, there's, yeah, there's a line in that book where Batman says, "I don't need a sidekick," and I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, God, so funny. Well, and Catwoman, you know, going uh, t- talking about Superman's disguise, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. you know, just really, you're really, you know, kind of, kind of a Mensa case you got there, right? You know, with right. his slicked back hair and glasses, <laughs> looks exactly like Superman, but he's got slicked back hair and glasses. <laughs> yeah, great book, highly recommend it. So, you know, uh, Wayne, you didn't read Batman 36, but you did read the, the fresh issue of Batman White Knight. Tell us. Yes, I am enjoying the story a lot. The this is the alternate reality of the Joker has been cured and now it's Jack Napier's war on Batman and getting the city kind of behind him. Uh, a lot happened in this one. Like we had ended the last one. With Napier has an army of supervillains that are controlled by uh, Mad Hatter's technology controlling Clayface, and he fed Clayface to all of the supervillains. So, for this one, the villains are going crazy, and uh, there's this huge Batman fight. Batman assuming that Joker's behind it all, and he would never let this library that's important to him get destroyed... And he makes mistakes, like serious mistakes in the course of the fight, gets himself hurt. Alfred dies trying to uh, basically patch him up. 
after this. And more and more, it's like Joker is winning in this in this story. And I am, uh, I have to say, I really am just in love with this idea that Harley Quinn, when she changed costumes, was actually a new person coming in and the uh, Joker didn't even realize it because we have original Harley is by his side. New Harley is pissed off that her Joker's gone, so she becomes a kind of a new Joker in this one. And I'm just loving that dynamic. There is a few interesting things about like twisting history. Yeah. Uh, Jason Todd is now the first Robin in this story, and uh, Dick thinks that they were closer than him and Bruce ever were. So there are a few things like that. It's like that just doesn't make sense, but it's an alternate reality, so I can go with it. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the challenging things about this book is that, unlike most of what we read in comics, um, there is no standard template for the story that Sean Murphy's telling. It's such a different sort of story that, that we've seen, uh, you know, because Batman's a little crazy, more so than he typically is, and is really emerging as not just a a... a, a, a a character that has turned bad, but might have been bad for a while. Not not a a a, a mustache twirling uh, super villain, but somebody who is so self involved he doesn't understand the harm he's doing to everyone around him, including his city. Yeah, the, the city has like the government corruption of there's a Batman fund, a Batman devastation fund. Yes, a three billion dollar a year Batman devastation fund. Um, I mean the 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 roots of of what terrible things of what terrible effects Batman has had on Gotham City run deep. Um, it is uh, it it is really a challenging book to read in that you have no idea where Sean Murphy's going, you know, and that's that's unusual for comics. Generally, you can kind of figure out, okay, this is this is we don't know how the t- which twists and turns we're going to take, but we understand sort of the ultimate destination. Yeah, I'm not I don't, sure where we're going in this book. You know, same here. I don't know where it's going to go. I will be disappointed if we don't have Jason Todd show up because they made a point to say they never found the body. Yeah, and there, there's no body buried there. So I expect Jason Todd to show up at some point. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I'm really enjoying the book and I'm enjoying the art. Sean Murphy just draws the hell out of uh, the Batmobile and there's a great splash page that shows all the different bat- Batmobiles. Um I, I the the artwork is just brilliant, I think. Um and yeah. there's there is a very touching moment where uh Alfred sacrifices himself for Bruce and you know, it's the only it's really the only note of humanity you see of Bruce in these pages and I suspect it's the last thing that's that's moderating his action. And now that he doesn't have uh, Alfred, I don't think that Batgirl is going to be able. Barbara Gordon is going to be able to uh, function as that as that calming force, that 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 moderating force in his life, like Alfred did. Yeah, especially with Dick leaving. Right. So, and I, I have to say the the concept I love the most out of here that I've never seen any of these alternate stories do is really that Harley Quinn one. Yeah, the character's costume and personality change so much in the comics between, you know, what she originally was to what she is now. 
I just love this idea that she was replaced at one point and he is so crazy he, he never noticed. noticed. <laughs> I just that is that's brilliant to me. Yeah. No, I, I think Batman White Knight is uh certainly a a book that you, you kinda didn't see coming and you you're not really sure where it's going, but wow, what an interesting ride. Um it is I will tell you, every time it comes out it's the last book I read. Because I know it's going to be a more challenging read than some of the other things that I'm reading. And that you're going to have to stop and go, now, wait a minute, what just happened there? Um, but, you know, it's a nice way to, it's, it's a nice way to enjoy that $3.99 that you spent on the book. Definitely. And it's, yeah. it's nice to know the last book you're going to read you're going to enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we, we got a couple of things uh, you know, out there on the feed right now uh, that, that if you haven't noticed, check them out. We've got the uh, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, and we had our mid-season show uh, in in the in between the breaks of Star Trek Discovery. So we talk about the news and a number of other things. Uh, so check that out. We also have coming up uh, a replay of last year's A Barry Rainsboro Christmas Part One, Part Two, an all new, fresh episode of Rainsboro will follow shortly thereafter in advance of Christmas. And next week there are comics coming out. So, uh, you know, next week we've got uh, action comics and detective comics coming out, as well as other comics. <laughs> I do this part really well, don't I? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, will, there will be comics, and, I, and I'm certain that all of those comics will have writers and artists and will tell various stories. <laughs> and we'll talk about all of those next week, right here on Funny Books with Timmy and Wayne. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 